Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and it's episode bloody 20 of Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage podcast. How the devil are you? That's really interesting. I thought that had cleared up. Well, it's nothing. That little slap with a shovel can't fix. Um, thank you for rejoining us. As now we hit the twenties, the 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 what's a what's a, a thing for the twenties? You get like the the flirty dirty thirties, the naughty forties, the nifty fifties. What is it for the twenties? The 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 hentai twenties, the henty twenties, denty twenties. The twenties. The, the Look at that. We've hit episode twenty. We're still going, chugging along, and this week we hit nineteen ninety four. When some people apparently were born, I wouldn't know. I was born ninety one. I'm a dirty Virgo millennial. Nineteen ninety four. We move away from Deadfall. Seems like a distant memory. Red Rock West. It feels like it happened so long ago, and we go to. March, March 11th, no less, of 1994, we go to Guarding Tess, a comedy drama film. The first 1994 flick for old Mr. Nicholas Cage. In this film, he stars as Doug Chesnick, a Secret Service agent in charge of a team protecting Tess Carlyle, the widow and national treasure, no pun intended, of a former U.S president so uh watch this film last night it is available on the interwebs if you look hard enough if you know what i mean quite enjoyed it wasn't too bad wasn't too bad at all actually but as we move into 1994 and just before we get into the nitty and indeed the gritty of the film uh again for new listeners uh if you're there my name is daryl this is cage rage nicholas cage podcast as each and every week we watch the works the films, the canon, the legacy of Nicolas Cage, the greatest actor of our generation. Now, why are we doing this, you ask? Well, let me tell you, for one simple reason, and if you don't know it, you know it now, that's to achieve a little thing we like to call true Cage Nirvana. Sure, you could watch all the films of any other actor, but are you going to get the same rewarding, wholesome feeling at the end of it? No, you're not. You're not, you're not going to go through the ups and downs, the trials, the tribulations, the emotional highs and the daunting lows. This is going to make you feel something, make you feel alive. And hey, what we need in 2020, we need a spark. We need something to keep us going. We need that momentum. And if you join me on the train to True Cage Nirvana, and let me tell you, we'll be honoured to have you. You can also join us on the old Twitter machine, at Cage underscore podcast, Instagram at Cade Rage Pod, uh, on YouTube, Spotify, of course, Cage Rage Podcast, and if you enjoy the show and you want to chuck a little anything to your boy to feed his crack crack, and by that I mean Kraken, and also crack addiction, it's coffee.com forward slash Daryl Edge, K-O-F-I dot com forward slash D-A-R-R-Y-L, E-D-G-E. Moving swiftly on, Doug Chesnick. This is who Cage is starring as this week. 
special ops, um, well, not ops, but special ops of my heart, a Secret Service agent. He's been put on the detail of the former First Lady. She's a sweetheart in the National Eye, but he wants something a bit more exciting. He's had three years there doing the same thing. His skills are dulled. He's by-the-book kind of guy. He wants a little bit more. Will he get more? We'll find out. Shirley MacLaine. She's playing the titular Tess in Guarding Tess. Her role, in fact, as Tess was nominated for a Golden Globe in 1995 for Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, robbing Nicolas Cage yet again. The film was also directed by Hugh Wilson, who you may recognise as helming the 1984 comedy classic Police Academy 1, no less. And also that guy, uh, Uncle Vernon from Harry Potter, he's in it as a chef. Just a nice British guy who sometimes prances around, that's nice. Guarding Tess would make a tidy little $27 million at the box office against an initial budget of $20 million and raise hogs across the nation as Nick Cage would wear a suit and look good to boot. It currently holds a rating of 57% on Rotten Tomatoes and despite mixed reviews, because cowards are critics and don't know genius when they see it, they would praise the on-screen chemistry of McLean and Nicholas Cage. Of course they would. Of course they would. And any critics who want to criticise, and I use that word loosely, quote-unquote, bracket, close bracket, whatever little characters you want to put either side of it, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll say it until the very last episode of that podcast, whenever that may be, you cowards. You're finished. You're done. I'll fight you all one by one. It doesn't matter if you're in the UK. doesn't matter if you're in America or elsewhere. My fists will travel borders for justice in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Nicolas Cage. Uh, now, interestingly enough as well, uh, I mentioned it last week on the podcast, the fascinating book, National Treasure, Nicolas Cage by Lindsay Gibb. It takes deep dive into... The inner workings, the machinations of the man, the myth, the legend we know and love, uh, touches upon guarding Tess briefly. Now, it turns out this was film number two in what Nicolas Cage referred to as his Sunshine Trilogy. The first of that was Honeymoon in Vegas, which we touched on a few weeks ago. The second, guarding Tess, and the third of which, It Could Happen to You. These were a series of lighter comedy films that Nicolas Cage would do in the 90s. So you don't often see Cage touching on comedies, especially not now. He does more action films, more slightly out there stuff, takes uh, considerably more risks. Not that he wasn't a risk taker anyway. Uh, the biggest risks for the biggest hog, obviously. But he would eventually go off comedies and uh, back into the kind of genres that we more associate with the greatest actor of our generation. But we'll touch upon that. It's always interesting to see Nick Cage in comedies. You don't see him do that much. It's um, intriguing to see him spread those wings and pushing that craft a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, still learning, still going, still growing. Me, mentally, I'm done. I'm, you know, 29 in a week. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to 30. Um, I've, I feel like I've done all the growing I'm going to do. I'm not interested... Nicolas Cage, though, he's 
He doesn't have a smooth brain. He's not a smooth brain loser. It's big. It's wrinkly. It's galaxy brain. It's still absorbing all this information. Me, I'm dead to the world. The only thing, the only wrinkle on my brain, is passing on the good word of our Lord and Saviour. And I, and I refuse to die. And I won't do it until everyone is on board. You two can be on board, like I say, with a Twitter. We just hit over a. Two hundred followers as well. That's interesting. That's a thing. That's happened. Little humble brag. Throw it in there. I'm throwing in the humble brags this week because there's not much on the on the Ian scale to talk about. To recap for again for the new listeners, Ian, he's is he real? Is he a figment of my imagination? Is he the most aggressively boring man who's ever lived? Who also happens to be my neighbour? Who only ever talks to me about the week in bins? You can catch up on the whole saga, going through previous episodes. The only thing you need to know, as a conclusion to last week's drama, is that the green bin was finally taken. So chalk a point up on the board for your boy. Okay? Don't count me out. I'm doing it for you. I keep coming. I keep swinging. It doesn't matter how many blows I've taken. I won't stop because I fucking love you. You. You listening right now. I fucking love you. Alright? And I do this for you. Nudes available on request. So jumping into the film, and you're wondering, where's Nicolas Cage? Well, let me tell you, after we get the opening credits a minute in, and we have our first confirmed Cage sighting. This is what we live for. Cage is bringing a tray of breakfast treats upstairs. Just the kind of service you would expect after I assume he's raw-dogged you. I mean, if he did that to me and he just left, I totally understand. It's not it's not an issue. He's Nicolas Cage. He's got places to be. I'm just another in a long list of conquests for the Cage Meister. Next, he's on a plane. He's enjoying the Bloody Mary. He's finally wrapped up his service with Tess. He's three years. And he's happy to be out of there. Well, Nicolas Cage, I raise my iced crack-crack to you. I raise an iced crack-crack to you, Cage. The only drink we serve on the train to True Cage Nirvana. At the Cage Rage podcast, there's always a sweet billy crack waiting to wet the whistle. A nice crack crack, you can bet, for the whistle it is to wet. So Doug, Cage's character, he meets with his boss after finishing this long, arduous three-year detail with Tess Carlyle, And he wants something a bit more exciting. He wants more opportunities to raw dog and cup boob. The way we know he can. The way he know he has to. That keeps his blood pumping. He wants to be down at the White House. The Pentagon. He wants to get stuck in again. However though. Fate would conspire against our boy. The President. As a personal favour. Has asked for Doug to work with Tess. Once again. Now he doesn't want to do it. Reluctantly. He retakes the role. And other people like us mere mortals. We say no. We're out. We're done. The contract's over. I don't need to put myself through that. But Nick Cage, he's the top lad with a top hog. And you can't, money can't buy that. Money can't buy that kind of commitment. You know this. This is what our boy offers. This is what he does. He's better than you. He's better than me. There's normal human beings. And then there's Nicolas Cage. There's no in between. There's only two. If you're not Nicolas Cage, you're the bottom. You're in the trenches. You're on the scrap heap. I've made peace with this. Why don't you make peace with this? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
Now, as we learn as we go into the film, Doug and Tess seem to have something of a difficult relationship, to say the least. Um, Tess is very no-nonsense. She's very direct. Um, Doug is very professional. He's very by the book. They tend to butt heads a bit. There's a, like a modicum of respect in between there, but it's it's tenuous, to say the least. And again, he's not happy about being back there because, like I say, he wants to just whip his hog out. Some kind of goddamn food trick or something? What do we look like, waiters? Are we a bunch of waiters? We want to be down there! He just wants to get his gun out. He just wants to get his hog out. And he wants the American people to know that he's on top of the situation. Is it a crime that we sometimes we want more? I don't think it is. He want, As I say, he wants to be where the real action is. Um, and he's back with Tess now. Tess, again, very strong-minded woman. She knows exactly what she wants. And she'll go about getting it in any way that she deems necessary. She doesn't really care who it affects. I respect the hustle. Nothing against that. She even wants to go playing golf in the freezing cold. Uh, we sort of learn that she's not really done a lot over the past few years. But she wants to play golf in the minus temperatures. She sets off her house alarm to get the Secret Service agents to come to her for her to tell them that she wants to play golf. you got to applaud it. you got to respect it. Now she's taking a big swing on the golfing green. Cage and the other agents, they do ponder what this all is. She's been very... Um, very toned down in her approach to life, and now suddenly she's got all this energy again. She's been largely inactive, but if she's going to go about it like this. You better recognise that our boy, the boy, a boy even bigger than me, and I am the biggest boy, is not going to take that kind of shit. Would you be kind enough to get my first ball, please, Doug? I'm a Secret Service agent, Mrs. Carlisle, not a caddy. You want that ball? I suggest you go get it yourself. Ralph? No. Since you've insisted on me staying here, I think you should know I intend to do my job by the book, which means we don't run errands, we don't make snacks, and we don't check our guns at the door. Now, if you don't like any of this, I suggest you call Washington and get yourself a new man. Can you hear that? Can you feel it? That is the sensation. That is the feeling of swollen plums. Engorged, caged plums looking straight into the eye of power and telling them, fuck you, speaking up for the little man. God damn it, taking no shit. Are you, is your hog raging right now? And again, it doesn't matter, gender, whether it's physical, metaphorical, literal or otherwise. Everyone has a hog at the Cage Rage podcast, and it will stand to full attention. You better believe it. You better recognise. So after such a power move like that, Doug and the other boys, Doug and the other guys, they're at a little diner, they're having a chilled after-work coffee. They don't drink on the job, because again, they do it by the book. And suddenly, Doug gets a phone call. It's only the bloody president of the US of America... El Presidente, Tess, has called in. She's played a big hand. 
a big card real soon. She's gotten him to kick off with old Cage and tell Cage to wind his neck in. It's a huge hog move against the biggest hog in the game. And if you thought Cage was 1-0 in there, it's, uh, you know, it's about to get a little more testy. A little more testy for your boy. They take a trip to the opera for a lovely night out. Now, Tess wants to sit behind the driver on the ride there, but Doug, growing a pair, re-swelling those plums, puts his foot down and tells her, you've got to sit behind me. These are the rules. These are the regulations. You know this, and we're not going anywhere until you get this into your score. So we get a bit of a stalemate for about a minute, and eventually she yields and moves. One, one. That's one all. That's one apiece. Excellent comeback from Cage. You'd love to see it. At the opera, though, Tess falls asleep, not even stopping to appreciate Cage in his tuxedo. Um, Now, based on this alone, Cage for the next James Bond, I say. Raw dog, shaken, not stirred. As they leave the opera, a small crowd applauds Tess, but let's not be mistaken here, people. That adulation is for the greatest actor of this generation. That is for Nicolas Cage. I mean, the second I see him, I'll be on my knees. I'll be in tears. I'll be raging in my nethers. That is regulation and standard protocol, people. But not one to take this lying down. We move on a little bit later in the film, and Tess is ready to pull another stunt and takes off with her driver. Cage, as you will hear, is raging. No pun intended. <laughs> Lol. Or is it? Don't worry about it. Earl! Earl! I want you to pull over right now, you hear me? God damn it! So like I mean, it happens to the best of us. We've all been on duty protecting the first lady. We've gone in to get her a little baby roof snack from the gas station, and she's fucking took off with the driver. It happens. It happens all the time. Let's not get in over our heads here. Don't worry about it. But the protocol has to continue, so they call the local law enforcement and making themselves a laughingstock in Columbus, Ohio, with the fucking police. ACAB. That's all I have to say about it. The cops do eventually find the car, though, and return her to the house, not happy about this, and why would you? You've gone from a raging hog to a sad little dog, a nub sucked into your stomach. Doug rightfully confronts Tess and tells her point blank that the driver, Earl, get the fuck out of here, son. You're done. I fired Earl. This has happened twice now. No. He is a driver in the employ of the Secret Service. I can't do anything about the cook and the nurse. No, they work for you. But this guy works for us, and he's gone! He works for you because I told you people to hire him. He's my chauffeur. And he's saying! Quite frankly, I have never heard anyone talk to the greatest actor of our generation like that before. Um, I'm, I'm shook. I'm shook. How dare... Was that in the script? That inflection? That tone? Do you understand... Who's in that scene with you? Calming myself down, another sip, sip of crack crack to really take the edge off. Doug pleads with Tess not to do anything crazy again, but Tess explains that maybe he should try something crazy. Again, did you know do you know who you're talking to? Did you see Deadfall? I watched it. I watched all ninety minutes of it. I don't think you did it, you've got no grounds. No grounds. 
and she wants him to give a little widow a break. Now Doug is understanding, he's apologetic for coming down so hard, but at the end of the day, he's got a job to do, he's got regulations to follow. They argue some more about this, can't find any common ground, and Doug storms out, he's leaving for real this time, he's done with that shit. Speaking of shit, sometime later Doug is taking a shit, and gets a call from the president, again, uh, which is actually the same scenario I experienced when I got my job back. Interesting parallel there. Really takes you off guard, you know, when you get a call when you're on the toilet. There's just no chance to get your bearings. You're very exposed. You're very vulnerable. It's a very it's a very lonely place to be. Um, but that aside, Tessa's called into the president again, relays to him that she's refused Secret Service protection. The president is not happy about this. El Presidente loses his shit, as does Cage on the toilet, and he tells Doug, you're going back to Tess, you're gonna sort it out, and his balls are well and truly in a vice. So Doug does return to Tess's house, she's had all the Secret Service kicked out, they're all outside the gates, packing up the shit. Doug manages to convince the driver Earl to have a word with Tess, but she is having none of it. And goes for a drive, doesn't want to see anyone, doesn't want to talk to anyone. Afterwards, we see a little scene of her um, sort of strapped down in a like a hospital uh, like bed gurney thing in this sort of head brace. She seems to be having this scan done. Um, now, earlier in the film, she did make this passing, um, almost jokey comment to Doug that she might have a brain tumour. Although, like I said, it was passed off as really nothing serious at the time. So it leads us to wonder, could this be more serious than we were first led to believe here? The next day, Tess's son comes to visit, but the trip unfortunately turns into more of a sales pitch than a visit to family. Um, He wants her endorsement to sell his new housing venture, his uh, 125-plot apartment scheme. That's the only reason he's interested. But Tess, she sees through the bullshit. She's not beating around the bush. She tells him straight up no. Get the fuck out of here. And I'm a big fan of that. Big fan of that. Like that. Wish I could be more like that. Around Ian. But I'm not the first lady. And the social norms prevent me from such a raging hog move. Tess then spends the night watching some old VHS footage of her with her late husband, who we learn died of a heart attack. Also in the footage is Doug, who's behind her every step of the way. We openly see him weeping at her husband's funeral. With this in mind, Tess seems to have a bit of a change of heart in the way that she views Doug, and she then starts looking at him in something of a new, more appreciative light, seeing that, you know, he's always been there. He does care there's a bit more to this guy than just rules and regulations. So she goes to visit him when he's stationed out in his car on that night and accidentally gives him an extra cagey spooking, a.k.a. it's our random cage scream of the week. Oh, God! Ow! scared me to death! You sneaked up on me! I did no such thing. Yes, you did. I did not. Where'd you come from? We get a few nice moments with Tess and Doug following this. They share a late night drink. They're starting to get to know each other a little better. Tess 
talks a bit more in depth about her relationship with her late husband, she reveals that she was aware of some of his quote-unquote indiscretions, even though it isn't common knowledge. They then talk about Doug and his brief seven-month marriage. It broke down because the dogs were too raw and it had to end. It's a tale as old as time. The following morning, Tess, she's in a grand old mood. She asks the Cage Corps, and he's the team around Cage, obviously, to prepare because the President has announced he's going to pop down for a little old visit. But Cage, seeing an opportunity, takes it as a chance to get his team on their toes again. Now, if I was around Nicholas Cage, I'd never be dull, I'd never be off my toes because my hog would be forever raging. They get the team out shopping, uh, the price-checking peas, Cage gets some XXXL condoms, don't worry about it. If it's on the weekly shop list, then it's going in the basket. Rules is rules. Tess even gets her hair done did, and it's looking splendid, may I add. But despite all this preparation and this upbeat atmosphere, they get a little fax through. The president is cancelling the visit due to some pressing matters. And even though she doesn't show it, Tess is clearly a little bit hurt by the whole thing. It does come as a blow to the mood. So later she requests that just her and Doug go out on a trip the following day. She has a little solo picnic um, out by this lakeside whilst Doug stands guard. As the day sort of goes on, she seems to fall asleep at a little picnic table. Doug carries her back to the car, true gentleman, all the way. But then suddenly Tess and Earl drive off again. It seems like they've pulled another of these classic ruddy stunts. And again, understandably, your boy is livid. Now, unlike the last joyride they took on, though, this this one seems a bit off. I did a different test, seems a bit woozier. She didn't seem aware of this one, so something is afoot here. And unlike the last joyride, even though they follow protocol and call in the local law enforcements, this time Tess and Earl fail to return. Um, so they start to see suspected kidnapping when the CIA understandably have to get involved. Um, when being questioned, Doug says, well, Earl usually keeps an eye on the medication and he takes care of the meals. Um, but the CIA, they, they still scold him, like, you and seven other men couldn't look after one old lady. I mean, it's cutting. It's straight to the bone. If I was there, I'd slap that man in his mouth for talking to Cage in that way, for looking at him in that way and thinking it's acceptable. I don't care who you are. I don't care the size of your hog. I don't care what suit you've got on. You're getting a straight right from the people's champion, if you ask me. Now, the cops do find the car. Tess is missing, but the driver was there. Now, this is a dark day in the Cage Rage Cannon. Cage, accused of failing at his duty, his hog, called into question. We're against the ropes here, people. We're being worn down, blow after blow. The final rounds are coming up. Have we got a comeback that we can mount? Because I'm not throwing in the towel. Cage's team get a report that Earl, the driver, was taken to hospital with a small crescent-shaped burn in the back of his neck. Also in the car 
was a ransom note demanding $15 million. Calm down, lads. The film didn't make that much. It's also revealed that the pills that Tess took for her dizzy spells, which we learn about, um, were indeed more serious than they first appeared, calling back to some passing comments made earlier in the film, because it is revealed that Tess does indeed have an inoperable brain tumour. So her indirect comments to Doug earlier in the film with the little hospital appointment, they were clues after all. Um, Now the CIA further suspect that Tess was kidnapped by Arab terrorists, it seemed to be all the rage in the 90s, but Team Cage, with their fingers on the pulse, the nose to the ground, they know that assessment is bullshit. Now Cage, having obviously having a big brain moment, obviously the only guy capable of cracking the case, he deduces that the crescent-shaped burn, it wasn't a brand, it wasn't some kind of calling card, as the CIA had suspected, it's actually a cigarette lighter. So Cage and a member of the CIA, they visit Erlin Hospital, they check the burns on his neck, revealing a direct match. You see? You see, Earl's a cuck. I had a suspicion earlier in the film, when he's been told what to do. I carried that suspicion all the way through with me, to the end of the film, and we know for certain that he's a cuck. He's the Ian of this film. It was a total Ian move. Now, I didn't want to say it, because I thought, you know, maybe we can go... Maybe we can go one episode without just pointing fingers in these baseless accusations. Um, but I was right. I was right again. I've been right for the past 20 weeks. I'll be right for the next 20 weeks. Earl is a cook. Ian is a cook. Tomato, tomato, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Four bins in total that he loves to talk about. Do you understand the maths? Do you understand my thought process here? So as they start questioning Earl, Earl tries to flip the script, pin the crime on Doug and say, look... I understand why you'd be looking at me, but it's Doug and Tess. They're the one that are always arguing. Do you, have you ever known a Secret Service agent to be arguing with the person he's protecting? But listen here, early in ENL, you are dealing with the biggest dog, with the biggest hog. So don't even try this bullshit. Doug pulls a gun on Earl, threatens to shoot his toe off, leading to this little encounter I like to call How to Deal with a Cuck. Well, I'm going to count to five and then I'm going to shoot one of your toes off. Oh, God! And then I'm going to count to five and shoot another toe. Doug! Listen, I don't know anything! Will you just get that through your seat? Are you crazy? Ah! Are you... He didn't count! Five! He didn't even count! Four! Going to prison, Doug. Listen to me! Will you just listen to me? If he is involved! This is the message station. Should we call the police? Yes, ma'am, and the FBI. He is involved! And she knows it! And if she knows it, her life is worthless. Do you understand me? They have to fucking kill her! We don't have time to meet his lawyer, right, Earl? Oh, God, help me! Five! Four! No, no, come three, on, okay. Two. okay! Okay, 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 Look, they've got her in an abandoned farmhouse! Okay, I... Abandoned farmhouse? Yeah, yeah! I don't think so. No, no, I swear to God! I swear to God! Doug, really, listen, it's my sister and her husband. Check it out, Doug! It wasn't my idea! I swear to God! Now, you just know... 
you just know, don't you, that that minute and a bit there, that was definitely Cage's favourite part of the film to record. Um, but sometimes this is what I mean. Sometimes it just takes a little persuasion and a point-blank bullet to the foot to get these cooks to talk. You just have to shoot a toe off, show them that you're willing to negotiate, and just threaten the rest of the little piggies. It's no big deal, honestly. So, sort of recap what we had there. Doug figures out that Earl was directly involved in the kidnapping. He uses some, shall we say, um, obscure methods of interrogation to get the reveal that Doug was working with his sister and his brother-in-law to kidnap Tess Carlisle and hold her for ransom. So that information now revealed. An armed SWAT team raids the farmhouse, arrests the sister and the brother-in-law. The pair explain that Tess was buried deep under the farmhouse. She's got a little ventilation tube, as if um, having a brain tuber wasn't enough. So Team Big Hogs, that's Cage's team, if obviously. So Team Big Hogs, that's Cage's team, obviously. They take the shovels, they start digging... Um, it seems to take them quite a while. So how many two people with no heavy machinery were able to dig a hole this deep? It's like 10 foot deep at least. Um, well, okay, maybe six foot, but you've got to round these things up like Cage's hog number, you know? So anyway, they managed to dig her out, get her into an air ambulance chopper, lifesaver, which is of course another metaphor for Nicholas Cage's hog. Tess wakes up in the chopper, demands Cage, and Team Raw Dog take the chopper with her. Out a girl. Tess and Doug have a little bicker about the cigarette lighter clue that she left and how long it took him to crack it. She's happy for him that he finally got to use his gun without doubt. Another hog metaphor. It's a weirdly feel-good moment. The president checks in on Tess and makes sure that Doug will be taken care of should anything happen to him. Uh, they're at the hospital now, sort of final scene of the film. And it's nice because Tess says that Doug is like a son to her, sort of the son that she you know, clearly doesn't get on with, uh, um, that we saw earlier in the film. My little heart grew three sizes that day. So Tess leaves the hospital. She refuses to use the wheelchair, as the doctor's reminder is the regulation to be wheeled out. Doug, intervening, looks over his glasses in the same way that teachers do to pieces of shit students, or Rand Robertson would to an idiot contestant of the weakest link, and convinces her to sit down and take the wheelchair. Tess respects that hustle, gets wheeled out to applause, again, obviously for Nicolas Cage, as the film ends and the credits roll. So I say 2-1 to Nick Cage, Cage, Set and Match. So that brings us to the end of Guarding Tessa overall. Um, actually quite a good little film, uh, no doubt. Um, I'd say it's, it's one of those little cagey diamonds in the rough. It's very easy to miss. A lot of people will have missed this one. But it's um, it's it's a nice it's a nice little flick for the majority of the run. The interactions between Cage and McLean are really nice. They're really fun. They do balance each other out well on screen do make a strong pairing. Um, I do feel the final third of the film with the the kidnapping, it doesn't really meet the general vibe of the rest of the film. The kidnapping drama really comes out of left field to create some forced drama when the way it's been building up the film, I don't feel that like the film really needed it. 
it did seem like guarding Tess was going to take another sort of dramatic direction because with the, the little brain tumoured subplot, she made a joke about it at the hospital scene. It's revealed that she has the brain tumour, but it's um, that sort of plot just kind of drops off, really. The only kind of payoff that you can argue that happens is when um, Tess calls the president at the end and sort of forces him to make sure that Doug's going to be taken care of should anything happen to her. That might be a sort of an allusion to it, but it's a conclusion you can miss if you're not really paying attention and not putting the pieces together yourself. So I think on on balance overall, I'd probably give Guarding Tess, I think, a fair silver cage. Again, McLean and Cage, solid performances. It is an otherwise pretty straightforward comedy. It makes for easy watching. It's a nice change of pace for Cage if you're watching all the films. who rarely stars in comedies. I think you sort of get a vibe as to why he doesn't do too many of them. Um, he does have to sort of take that straight man role, which I don't know if on the whole he really enjoys it. But he's good here. Um, so if you're looking for a slightly different take on Cage then I'd say go and check this out. It's a nice 90 minutes, passes by quite nicely. Uh, you won't feel worse off for having added uh, this film to your own repertoire of films that you've seen in your lifetime. So it's all lovely, it's all nice, and we like that here. We like a nice ending on Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. And with that said, speaking of nice endings, that brings us to the end of episode 20. So thanks again for listening. If you have been, you can join us on the usual social medias, Twitter at Cage underscore podcast, uh, Instagram at Cage Rage Pod. You can chip a little to the show if you feel like it. You don't have to. You don't have to. Coffee.com forward slash Daryl Edge. And of course, give us a little follow on Spotify if you feel so inclined as we cruise along on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. It'd be a pleasure to have you take up a seat on the train. So thanks again for joining us. That's been episode 20. You've been a rager. I've been Daryl Edge. We'll see you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. Uh, Bye.